Let's talk about the Lord. Do you love Jesus? I didn't get a yes out of a lot of you. Yeah. I mean, that's not, I remember when Brother Zerubbabel, which uh, here he would come, and Brother Zerubbabel, very interesting brother, he would pray and he'd just pray, and everybody always wanted him to pray for them until he started using those words of knowledge. But, but he would say, don't pray stomach prayers, you know, like to yourself and God. And so I, I would like for you to have some expression of your love for Jesus. Jesus is really the best. Yeah, he's the best. Amen. Let's talk about him a little bit. Now this, is, this message is entitled The Foundation of the Lord, Part 4. But I want to talk about Christ and glory and honor. Christ, glory, and honor, specifically today. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Paul tells us the solid foundation of God stands. Amen. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. So the solid foundation of God stands. He says the foundation of God, the foundation on which we are built, is a strong and solid foundation. It is a solid foundation. And you need to know that. You may ask, why do I need to know that? I already know that. But do you really know it inside? Do you, do you know it in your heart in such a way that when difficulties come, you still know it? It doesn't matter how bad the things are, you still know it. You don't start to wonder, well, what did I do? Did I sin? You sound like Job's friends. <laughs> don't, don't do that. But you need to have this so inculcated in you that it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of so nailed into you that there's no way the difficulties can back out the truth. The truth remains. And that's what we want to happen. And this is why we always tell you the one thing that is needful, the one thing, the one person that you must have in life. And then you need to know all about him. I told you the story a number of years ago. <clears throat> I was watching uh, television, or maybe one of those book series or something like that, and where there was an interview, uh, an interviewer, and he was interviewing a man who, had, who was a well-learned man, a, a doctor, <clears throat> a PhD, and he was well-learned, he'd come from the South, was now teaching one of the major universities up north, and he had majored in Abraham Lincoln. He knew everything there was to know about Lincoln, and he was, he was very, very bright, very brilliant. And I, I watched the, the, the interview, and I was very impressed with him, and I thought, wow, that is really amazing that you can study a person and just know everything practically that there is to know about them. But in, in the midst of that, I, I just felt sad. And I said to the Lord, God, something like this, uh, I, I want to know Jesus like that. It, it's fine to know Lincoln. It's fine to know other great people. But it's better to know Jesus that way. It's better. Excuse me, I'm popping up here. The foundation on whom we are built is powerful, victorious, and glorious. Now, I said 
the foundation on whom we are built and not on which we are built because our foundation is not inanimate. It is not without life. Our foundation is Christ himself. You and I can safely say our foundation is God. We can safely say that. And that is not a blasphemous statement. Paul teaches us in, Rome, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says that, that we are God's workmanship. I mean, can you imagine that? Look around and see. We are human beings, but he says we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Created where? In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is so glorious. It's Christ and it's glorious. It's Christ and it's powerful. It's Christ and it's victorious. So for those of us who have faith in God through Jesus, we are already at this very moment powerful. We don't always know that, and we are also glorious. That's who we are, because there has never been a people on this planet or any other place like the church. Never. And, and so it is my belief that we are living in perilous times harsh times, difficult times, times that many of us thought that perhaps they were for a future generation. We are living in harsh times. So scripture tells us that perilous times would come, and now they have come. And so I want to teach you in such a way and preach to you in such a way that you will know on whom you are built. And you will also know that the one on whom you are built is also the building material for your life. When the scripture tells us that, that you can build either on this, uh, this amazing foundation, which is Christ, you can build with gold, silver, uh, 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 precious stones, or you can deal with, build with wood, hay, or straw. It's showing you what, what it is. Now, wood, hay, and straw represent that which is of the earth, even philosophy. Things that you might need, as it were, to get through a job. It may be a discipline that you have studied, but if it is, if it is of the earth, it is wood, hay, and straw. doesn't mean it, it, it does not have any temporal value, but it has absolutely no eternal value. But gold and silver and precious stones have to do with the eternal. And the Lord wants us to, to prepare for eternity. You know, somebody says, I read it a few days ago, it's something to the effect that life is short. You know, basically live it up. Life is short. And then they said later, eternity is long and you need to prepare for it. <laughs> so, so life being short, is, is not informing me in the sense that I want to live it up, but eternity is long. I want to prepare for it. 
So we want you to be prepared for it, but be prepared to walk out your life in a way that glorifies the Lord every day. And you can do it because God has given you all things that you will ever need that pertain to life and godliness. You have it right now. You don't have to search for it. You don't have to get on your knees and call it down from heaven. It's right here. You know, what Jesus told us, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do this from time to time. I'm, all, I'm totally off, right? Off my script here. But Jesus, Jesus uh, uh, has, has already uh, shared with us all those things that we need. He has given them to us. And uh, he told us when he left the earth, he said that, he told his disciples that, he, that uh, the Father was going to send the Holy Spirit. Then when he was leaving, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And what he was telling us was that when he arrived to heaven, I don't know how long it took him to get there, but when he arrived in heaven, he said that, and he sat on the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. This is a big, big statement. He sent the Holy Spirit. He, he actually sent the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would pervade the atmosphere. What he, wants, what, he, what he did was, and I have a greater understanding than I've ever had, that when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and uh, he came into earth's atmosphere and filled it. I totally believe that. Let me tell you what's going on. But then on the day of Pentecost, he only indwelt open hearts. And right now, the Holy Spirit is, is, he has been sent. He doesn't have to come. He's everywhere in the earth, everywhere. There's no place you can go on this planet where the Holy Spirit is not. You can't go even in the atmosphere. He's there. He's everywhere. You can be 40,000 feet in, up in the air in an airplane and get saved. That's because the Holy Spirit is there. He's waiting to come into your heart. He is waiting for you to say, come in. And he's, he's there swooping down. It's amazing what God has done. So this is not just somebody else's story. This is your story because this is what Jesus has done for you. This is now your story. This is now your wealth. That's amazing. This is your wealth. You are wealthy. You are very wealthy. I was, tell I was preaching in a, in a very poor nation where there are gross Domestic product is, it is the, the money that they make it is, was something like in the 20, like 20 plus billion dollars, but in the 20. We have men who are wealthier than nations. But the poorest believer is wealthier than them all. And you need to know it. And if you really know it, you can walk in it. There are things we give mental assent to, but we don't really know them. But when you know them, you can walk in them. So I really want you to study Christ, to know Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I've been learning more and more about Jesus. Actually, learning about him is not actually what I do. And it's not even what Scripture instructs us. But to say it the way Scripture says it, unless you're reading the Scripture, doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But we learn Christ. 
not just about him, we learn him. And it, as you learn him and as you know him, you are fortified against failure. You're fortified against depression. You're fortified against any malady that the enemy can bring against you. You're fortified. You're strong. And this is the foundation on whom you have been built. And you have been built to last. Amen. Not even death can take away what God has built because it's out of the jurisdiction of the, of the devil and even death. Amen. 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 Let me talk a little bit from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, and let me, forgive me if I should move quickly. So he was talking to the, uh, to, uh, the, the people in Hebrews because there was there was some misinformation going around about angels and who they are and how powerful they, they are and that, that the world to come is going to be dominated by angels. and That stuff sounds good, but it's, it's ignorance, it's spiritual ignorance. And I would like for all of us to have a great spiritual intelligence. I want us to be uh, uh, spiritually brilliant. All right? So... so there are all kinds of false stuff going on. And so the writer is addressing it. He says in verse 5, For he has not, God has not, put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. And that's a, an emphatic statement. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, I want to stop there. It's not a period. Let me stop there. In the psalm, when the psalmist wrote this, the psalmist obviously had a revelation that God had something really big for mankind. He had a revelation. But we, we know that we understand the Scripture not just through a biblical lens. And sometimes uh, we say, I've got a biblical lens, but that's a good lens, but it's not the best lens. The best lens is a Christological lens. You must see everything through Christ. And if the apostles taught us uh, biblical interpretation, they taught us that you must see things through Christ. They taught us that. And so uh, in... Luke chapter 24, obviously, uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus told the two brothers on the road to Emmaus um, how to interpret Scripture. This is what he said. Everything that was written in Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets is about me. It was not a, a, an idle boast or anything. He was giving them good information that they would need in order to walk out the life he had given to them. Everything is about Jesus, the Son of God. Everything. Amen. Everything. And so here we find that, that the, 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 the New Testament writer is now looking at Psalm 8 in a different light. It's not just us. It's, it's the Son of God. He is speaking firstly of the Son of God. He says, he has set him over the works of his hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, he has quoted the psalm. Now, listen to what he says. But in that he put all in subjection 
under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. No, no, it's not. But we see Jesus. We don't see all things under mankind, but we see Jesus. You have to see Jesus. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, Jesus, by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. So in order for Psalm 8 to be fulfilled for the benefit of us all, Jesus, the God-man, had to step into time and space and taste death for everyone because we would never have the fulfillment of that un until the bully death was dealt with. Amen. And so Jesus has tasted death for all of us and has freed us from death's tyranny. That's amazing. So I want us to really think about this amazing foundation that we have, who is Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's look at verses 12 through 19, and let's talk a little bit more about this death. He suffered death. It was made a little bit lower than angels for the suffering of death. That he might dismantle death. That he might abolish death. That he might take the sting from death. So you and I will never know the sting of death. Our bodies will experience natural death, but we will never know the sting. We'll never go into a holding tank. We'll never go into Sheol. We'll never go into Hades because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's the foundation on which we are built. Amen. Hallelujah, somebody. Verse, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now if... Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, some of these Corinthian Christians were going around saying, there's no bodily resurrection, we're all spirit, and uh, we're, we're just going to be some kind of ethereal entity up there floating around, and da-da-da-da. And Paul said, uh-uh, not so. Now, if... Christ, or since Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So what, he, what Paul is doing, he's showing them the importance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's very important that all of us, don't ever say, well, I believe in God, but I don't know if I believe in the body, the, the resurrection. Well, you're not saved. I mean, I mean that's I hope that's not too cold, but you're not saved. But you can be saved because the, re the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. Okay, it is. It's, it's, it's there. Jesus in his resurrection. And notice what he says in verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Well, that means I might as well sit down. And you should never go to church again. Because if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. 
So when Paul is saying very sweetly and nicely, all preachers are liars if Christ didn't rise from the grave. This is powerful. So it, it's, it's a reality that cannot be dispensed with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, for if the dead do not rise, he reiterates and says, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Christ, on whom we are built, is the resurrected Lord of glory. And we are not in our sins because Christ truly is risen. But this, this is my foundation. This is my foundation, and this is my superstructure as well. So I have to believe these things. I can never compromise. Amen. He says, you are still in your sins. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, so, so, so what we're saying is, if Christ is not risen, everybody who was professing him, they have perished. But we know from Jesus' own words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So our foundation is an imperishable foundation. Therefore, everything that is built on the imperishable is itself imperishable. I want you to know that, that there is no difficulty in this earth realm or beyond that can shake the foundation on which you were built. Amen. And it's, it's imperative that the church of Jesus Christ knows this. We must know this, and we must never compromise on it. It doesn't matter if we're ridiculed. It doesn't matter what men say. The truth is, is that we are built on what is unshakable. Amen. And so the resurrection was God's validation that the redemption paid by Christ on the cross was accepted. So when Jesus took on the sin of the whole world, he went into death. He took on past, present, future sin. That's imp important. It's an imperative that we must accept it. We must believe it. And he went into death, and because that price for redemption was accepted to God, he got out of the grave. If it were not acceptable, he'd still be there. Anyway, the resurrection was Christ's vindication. And so what does it mean? It means that you will have experience with God or with Christ as, as, as he had. You'll have the same experience as he had in that you too will have a vindication. You will because you, God, will resurrect you bodily. You will have a flesh and bone body, a spiritual body just like the Lord, and that will be your vindication, that you're believing in him when things didn't go well. You're believing in him when you couldn't see your way out, as it were. When you kept the faith, when it seemed like you should have thrown in the towel, you will be vindicated. God wants you to know that you will be vindicated. Every believer is going to be vindicated. Those people who laughed at us, they won't be laughing in that day. Hallelujah, because they will see you in glory with Jesus Christ, our sure foundation. Wow.
He's an amazing God. Let me, let me hurry to this close here. In verse 20, he talks about death, the last enemy. How the enemy, death, is going to be dealt with. Let's read verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. So he says it in what we call emphatically. He speaks a, he speaks a very strong statement of emphasis. And he says, but, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And, now look at the conjunction. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now what he wants you to know is that your faith has, has, um, has been shored up by the resurrection. Your, your faith has been. He says, Jesus is the first fruits of those who slept. So Jesus is the very first person to come out of death to die no more, that he might have the highest rank, the preeminence in everything. And so he says, Jesus is the first fruits of those who slept. And what he is um, implying to all of us who have faith is, is that Jesus is the first of a greater crop that's coming. So just as Jesus was raised, you will be raised. Not maybe. No, there's nothing that's going to upend God's plan for you between now and then. No. You may, you may be in the audience and you say, well, well, what if I act crazy? Well, God's going to help your crazy self. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. That's what God does. You know, you look around you. Every one of us hasn't always had good, sen good sense. We, haven't, we were saved, but we were sometimes nutty, you know, made bad decisions, and, we, and God has helped us. No, he's going to help you. The Holy Spirit is your helper. You're not going to get yourself to the throne. He's going to get you there. So he's, so he's going to get you there because you've had faith in him. Let me show you what this is like. When you, when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you accepted him, as I said to you previously, the Holy Spirit was already there, and the Holy Spirit went right in your heart. This is huge. And, 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 and now once he came into your heart, Jesus was, is in your heart. And if Jesus now can abandon you, we got a huge theological problem. You're talking about that Apollo, Houston, we got a problem. No, church, we would have a problem because, because it, would, it would indicate that there was something in Christ that should have been out of him. Because when the Holy Spirit came, you now were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so they would say that something was in Christ that shouldn't have been, and therefore God had to take him out quickly. No, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Yeah, you're going to make it. Do you love Jesus? You're going to make it. Have you been forgiven? Yes, you're going to make it. But let's go on and look at his work in verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So it was necessary that God become a man so that he would rescind, undo what the devil had done to man. And now notice in verse 22, he says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And the universalists really messed this up. They really messed this up. And if I'm picking on them, let me pick on them. They really messed this up because their doctrine is so damnable. 
Listen here. This is what this means. That as in Adam, all die, everybody. Even so in Christ, all should be made alive. So they say, well, see, everybody's going to be uh, forgiven, no matter whether it's uh, Hitler, Mussolini, Attila the Hun, uh, um, everybody who has been evil in the world, they're all going to be forgiven. The devil too. That's what they say, but let me show you something. Everyone, this scripture is saying, everyone who is related to Adam by natural birth experience, experiences death because of Adam's sin. That's what this means. It also means, and those who are related to Christ by spiritual birth will experience resurrection because of Christ. That's what he said. I'm related to Christ by spiritual birth. What about you? What about you? You're related to Christ by spiritual birth, then you're going to have a resurrection just like his. Just like his. Hallelujah, somebody. But he goes on to say, but each one in his own order. He, again, he says, Christ the first fruits. He wants you to get that. Christ the first fruits. Christ being raised guarantees your resurrection. Now, don't, don't come to, to God as he were to the church and, and, and say, I repented, but you really haven't. And then say, well, the preacher said, no, you, you repent. Because if your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. So, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits after, afterward. Listen, afterward. Those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. Christ the first fruits. Then those who are Christ at his coming. Now look at verse 25. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Now Jesus must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, because he's going to take death at the very end and throw it in the lake of fire, where the false prophet already is. Now, now he's been, it's been a long time, uh, you know, an antichrist and the false prophet, they're in that lake of fire for a thousand years. So don't think there's a reprieve, all right? So he's going to put death in there with them. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. For he, God, has put all things under his feet, uh, Christ Jesus' feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So the Father is not under the feet. Verse 28. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. Now this sounds really good, but what does it mean? It's always caused me some problems. I don't know about you. Now, because I, I, you know, I'm a Jesus man, and I, I love Jesus, and I'm, sometimes people say things, if, and I go, wait a minute, don't say that about Jesus. You know, I'm not going to hit you and box you, you know, I'm not going to give you puños or anything like that, <laughs> you know, but uh, cachetadas, but I'm going to, I'm not going to pop, pop and slap you, you know, so that's what I for all you English speakers, not like, like us, Spanish speakers. <laughs> so it causes me problems because it says the son is going to deliver a thing, and then the son is going to be subject. And so I always had some issues because that's not the way I thought the story ended, and it's not the way the story ended. Let me explain. 
When God is all in all, the new creation will have been consummated. And the resurrected Christ and his church will share together in that amazing experience. But to show you that it does not mean that Jesus is going to take his place here as, a, as, as one of us and just take his place and sit on the same pew because the scripture has declared that he has been anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows, above his companions, above you and me. He has anointed with the oil of gladness be, be above us. But in Romans 11:36, he says also, it says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Uh, uh, now, this is what he says. For of him, through him, and then to him. So when he says Christ is subject, let's find out more clearly what it means. The scripture teaches us that uh, in, in the scriptures, Revelation 21, 23, uh, the NIV says the city, speaking of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. <coughs> For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. So he shows us that, that, that the character uh, of things have changed when Jesus defeats everything and gives the kingdom back to the Father. The character of things can't change. Yes, Jesus is now uh, subject to God in the sense that God is now in, in every believer, every person who, who has escaped hell and escaped death. God is in every one of them in a new dimension, as it were. Listen to what he says. Because in Revelation 22, 1, he says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So Jesus did not give this to God and then come back and just walk around with us. He's just one of us, just like us. No, but it's his throne. Because Jesus is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. The characteristics have changed. That's all that's changed, but he is still Lord. He is still Lord. He is the image of the invisible God. He is, he is over all creation and forever and ever. He will be the lamp of God. That means that, that, that the God that you cannot see will be seen in this lamb on the throne. God, he is the lamp of God, and God will shine through him forever and ever. But not only just through him, but through all of us. He's the principal lamp. And we're those little lights forever and ever, forever and ever. This is amazing because as, as um, the scripture says, I repeat it once again, in Colossians 1, 16, 1, 15 and 16, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the ruler of all creation. That is a settled issue. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Amen. 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 Wow. Amen. Well, why did I share these, these things with you today? I shared them with you so that you'll know on whom you're built. And you're know, you, you would know something about him, some about, something about his majesty something about his strength, his power, 
his ability. Something about his inheritance. He owns everything. And you now, through Christ, have become a joint heir. You have become a co-heir with him on everything in the universe. That's so amazing. That's, that's who you are. I, I hope you're not carefree about that. I hope my prayer is that you would really know what God has said to you today. My prayer is that when you, tomorrow, this afternoon, when you encounter some difficulty, you won't feel like you're going to crater. You won't start to complain and wimp, wimp out and whimper. You know, no, 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 no. No, no, no. This is your destiny. You're already living your destiny. Your destiny is not just your destination. It's your journey as well. You are sons of God. Hallelujah. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.